Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jackson Gross, and welcome into the first episode of Wire Sports Weekly for the 2022-2023 Marquette school year. Once again, I'm Jackson Gross, your sports audio producer, and with how well Marquette women's volleyball is playing right now, number 19 in the country, I thought, who better? Who, what more person who has more knowledge on this team than anybody else here at the Marquette Wire? I thought I'd bring in our one of our assistant sports editors, Ben Schultz, onto the onto the program to talk about the team. Ben, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. It's good to be here. Uh, a decent weekend, a little slate. We got UConn and Providence coming up, so that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, a couple of Big East play is well within swing, so I'm excited to see what they can do. Obviously, we'll be on the broadcast along with our another the other assistant sports editor, Ava Mayers, on Friday night on MUTV the, on the YouTube channel. So, But before we get into the game on Friday and before we talk about the team up to this point, I thought I'd start with the story you wrote this week for the Marquette Tribune. Fantastic piece, by the way. Just have to get that out of the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I really like. There's a lot of things in here that I really liked, but I want to start with like as as journalists, we all have our ways of coming up with story ideas. So, how first of all, how did you just come up with the story idea to talk about the the amount of not only setters on the team, but the fact that there's setters across coaching staffs? Yeah. So I'm really interested, just like in the general idea of the setter position and how it works, how it makes a team work. Um, I knew that Marquette's head coach, uh, Ryan Tice, was a setter when he played. Um, and then Abby Gilliland, uh, Gilliland, uh, not exactly sure how you said it, but she, I knew she was a setter when she played for Tice at Ohio, a very high-level setter. And so I kind of knew those two things. Um, I was looking to see if there was maybe a connection uh, in volleyball of going from the setter position to coaching like how we see in basketball how we see point guards going to uh coaching uh there's a lot of examples in that and so i was trying to find that and then i saw that two of the other assistants the director of operations ellie adams was a setter when she played at stevens point and then at uw parkside and then i saw that the other assistant volunteer assistant adam campbell i saw that he was a setter as well and we actually played in the same or we're in the the same conference uh in high school so that was pretty cool as well so with with all that said what was kind of like the most interesting thing you learned about uh about the setter position and then when writing this piece uh i'd say the most interesting thing um Maybe it's just like how interconnected they have to be, like how much they have to know uh, going into every game. Like there's 900 square feet on your side of the court um, or maybe on the whole court, but you have to know both sides of the court. You have to know blocking matchups from the other team and then also where your setters are. So like Yadi uh, Anchante or Yudira Anchante is the setter now for Marquette um, after they played a 6-2 last year there in a 5-1 this year so she has to know so much um, going to between her players her attackers Aubrey Hamilton Hattie Bray Carson Murray Jenna Wrights like everything how they play well when they play well um, as well as just the other team and so knowing all those little things um, I feel like I learned that that translates to coaching a lot because of the attention to detail and so that was pretty big and important yeah that's 
that was that was awesome to read about. And I liked how later on in the piece you kind of compared the setter position to, I believe, I think one of the people you talked to said a center, but it also like a quarterback in football because they're basically involved in every single play. Well, not basically. They are involved in every single play in, on the volleyball court. And it was just and they have to make split ses- split second decisions on the court in terms of who to pass it to or just to get a quick dump. Yeah, they they have the second touch every time. Pretty much guaranteed. So like a quarter the quarterback has a second touch, he gets a handed or either passed back like from the center sort of thing handed to him. Um kind of like the point guard too, you pass the ball in and then that's how uh, the offense gets initiated so uh, they have to make anything into good like they have to make a bad pass to them a good pass and good set to one of their teammates so that's a very difficult job and they have to be going all over the court trying to get those passes lined up and for Yachty she's just so good at attacking as well not like Taylor Wolf they play two <laughs> totally different like styles of volleyball but like her sneaky dumps the one that's the trickiest to me is when she sets it behind her and it's just over the net goes into the other teams um like within the 10 foot line and so i think that's the the best part about when she likes to get her dumps yeah and speaking of Adira Anshante, i believe it was last week where she won big east offensive player of the week what can you tell us about her performance uh last week yeah so she had a triple double the first of the season she was really offensive minded and that she was trying to find some of her places where she could attack um they also played four sets if they played three sets she's not getting a triple double um but that definitely helped her get that but she just like was finding her hitters uh she was really finding them out of the back row it seemed like aubrey hamilton was just pummeling like hit after hit after hit uh from the back row She's been playing really well, and that's why I think the combination of those two, the two transfers, uh, Marquette's seen a much better, not much better, but like those two have been very working very well together. Yeah, and they're going to have to continue to work at us. We'll finally get into both games this weekend. We'll start with the game on Friday against UConn. That's going to be a big matchup again. That's probably one of the more... St- probably some of the stiffer competition from the Big East outside of outside of Creighton if maybe one other school that's escaping me right now but what do you think and then they have Providence on Saturday you're you're going to be at both games what do you think Marquette's going to have to do to pull out a win and go 2-0 again um at least against UConn it looks like uh they're the best team in the conference for blocks a set they're averaging 2.36 right now and so if Marquette can find those blocking matchups that they like to exploit i think that's going to be a key but otherwise uconn was predicted to finish fourth in the big east uh they're own two right now they lost to seton hall and st john's uh both in five sets so i think that's important to look at they weren't getting just destroyed they took them both matches were five sets so i think that's important but like they played depaul last week and depaul was picked to finish third and they don't look like a team that's ready to finish third in the big east at least in my opinion that they didn't look uh up to that level but i think marquette kind of has their own they can they dictate a lot of the games like i don't think that teams are going to be putting pressure on marquette that they can't handle so i think it's just how they react like if they go down a set how are they reacting the next set last weekend when they played butler marquette uh just got destroyed in one of the sets and came out opened the third set i believe it was with a 6-0 run and then they had another 6-0 run late to kind of seal it as if it wasn't sealed already but 
Um, I think those big runs that Marquette has put together early this year, it's just about putting it together for three sets. If they can close it out, uh, not go four, like Coach Tice has been saying, uh, because then that puts like extra wear and tear. And when you get to postseason, um, not playing as much um, is definitely going to be it's going to matter because like there's just less chances of injury. And so if Marquette can avoid injuries, um, unlike they did last year, I think mm-hmm. they'll be in a good point, but even for Providence, I think they just have to control what they can control, just be minimal on their errors. I think that's going to be really important for them. And talking about the big East at large, what have, what has been the biggest surprise up to this point? Um, through as we're about heading into the third and fourth conference games of the year. I mean, before conference play even started, I would say it was Seton Hall because I believe they probably finished fifth or lower in the Big East, and they were 9-3 and three in non-conference play. Now, granted, they didn't play necessarily the greatest of competition, but to see Seton Hall with a record that strong heading into conference play was, was a bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, uh, for Seton Hall, it's just like... Um, the Big East, it just seems like it's Marquette and Creighton year after year, um, and that's usually what it is. Um, so if another team can kind of get into that mix, I think that's even better. Um, I'm not sure exactly who Seton Hall's played. I'm pulling up right now, but it doesn't look like they've played anyone ranked, anything like that. But they did beat UConn. Uh, they did beat Providence, so they are 2-0 right now. It'll be interesting to see how they react or how they do against a Marquette or Creighton. Marquette's ahead of Creighton in the AVCA rankings right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of those two are playing at the top of their sport. Um, I'm not so sure that we thought Marquette would be in this position before the season, but I don't think that we thought they would be far off of this either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, if both... Th- the more good teams in the Big East is never a bad thing. And so um, if they are if they can... See, no, can just pick it up, keep playing like they're playing, um, and challenge Marquette. I think that's good for Marquette as when they get to the Big East tournament, they're going to want to play those big teams. And then before the NCAA tournament, uh, more competition doesn't hurt because, like, the rest of the Big East schedule for Marquette um, probably doesn't seem that difficult, in my opinion. Like, right. I don't think that they'll lose more than one game. Uh, I think la- the only game they'll lose the rest of the way until uh, tournaments um, is at Creighton. I don't think that's a ridiculous take either. No, I I agree with you. And we talked about that last week on uh, on GESR Golden Gold Sports Report. But before I want to get back to the, the rankings in a minute, but I want to kind of step back and kind of talk about how both of us reviewing this Marquette team heading into the season. Uh, obviously, they had a tough start out with with number then number eleven Kentucky. But personally, for me. After a lot of the talent they lost in Savannah Rennie, Hope Wirtz, Taylor Wolf, Hannah Vandenberg still injured, I didn't think they were going to be out to a program best 11-1 and to start the year. Yeah, I didn't see this either, but like, if you told me that their two best players were arguably like Aubrey Hamilton and Yachty, like, it would make perfect sense. Um I had a feeling Jenna Reitzman was just going to take a crazy jump. Like, she was really finding her stride towards the end of last season. She was getting a mm-hmm. lot of reps. So I feel like some of the younger players, Ella Foti, who hadn't played um, before, Hattie Bray, they both kind of redshirted. Um, I think 
that the general like I didn't know how they were going to come out and play Carson Murray looks like she's hitting the ball a little bit harder she's continuing the the high percentage but it just seems like she's putting down balls down and around the 10 foot line and so I think that's always a good sign if your middle can just put the ball like straight down essentially um, and they're just coming down way harder but with Hetty Bray the slide to the right on the right mm-hmm. side is just very hard to defend because of the options that Gotti has to set the ball to like when she slides um, she could also be setting the ball to Aubrey or Jenna on the left like that option is so important because it just keeps uh, defenses off balance yeah it's it's been incredible to watch and I think it's also just speaks to the the confidence that this team has now obviously they are a very big veteran group last year and so not a lot of the younger players got to play like we, we were talking about Hattie Bray redshirted Ella Fody redshirted Samantha Neighbor did play but she got one to two sets a match and now all these players are starting after having a full year of training under their belt and they Hey, they've beaten two ranked teams already in Kentucky and Illinois, nearly knocked off Wisconsin on the road. I still think they should have won or like gone a fifth set. I think they just fumbled it uh, during one of the sets that they were up by like 10 at one point. So Yeah, that was that. I believe that was the that was the third set. Because yeah, because they won the second and they just came out so well in the third and just kind of, let's just kind of slip. Like you're playing the defending champs. Like there's no fault in that on their home court but like it just felt like that one slipped away Um, I'm sure they would love to have that that setback but yeah I mean have that setback and you're 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 up 2-1 you're up you're up 2-1 and you got a pretty good shot to be 12-0 right now and probably higher than 19 so we'll get into that number 19 ranking right now I was a little bit surprised um when they first moved up to 19 I was like all right that's great and then one week goes by and they're still 19. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see it. There's been a lot of movement. We saw Florida. They knocked off University of Wisconsin. There are a few upsets that were going on. And then come into this week, and they're still number 19 behind Kentucky, who from the preseason has fallen all the way down to 18, right ahead of them. And obviously, Kentucky is harder schedule in the SEC. I understand that. But it's just simply based on how my brain works. It's like if you play a team – and you beat them, and honestly, Marquette's probably better now than they were game one of the year, how can they not move up higher in the rankings? Well, I just think it shows the Big East. I don't think it shows well for the Big East. Like if Marquette's going 2-0 and against two teams, like just generally in the conference, um, that it does, like if, you're, if you can't move up because of that, that's probably not a good sign. Like going back to Kentucky, like no, I don't think they expected what Marquette was going to come out and do, mm-hmm. either. Like the SEC is loaded from a conference perspective, maybe not loaded. Like the Big Ten, Big Twelve probably have something to say. Louisville's at the top, but like I think it shows more about how those other conferences who prioritize the sport a little bit more, um, how good those conferences are week in and week out. Uh, not that the Big East doesn't, but it's very clear who the top two people who care about it are. Uh, and so I think that's a huge thing. But like Marquette and Kentucky are only separated by seven votes. Uh, but then there's a pretty big gap from 477 to 610 between Kentucky and Washington, 17 and 18. Um, so that's a 
something important. And so, like, a bunch of these teams, like, have multiple losses. Uh, like, Ohio State, they've lost two to Texas, but they just beat Penn State, I believe. And so mm-hmm. they're sitting at sixth. San Diego's 11-1. and one. They're not in necessarily the best conference, but 11-1, and one, can't really fault them. Um, and one of the teams that uh, San Diego beat was actually UConn, who Marquette's playing soon or on Friday. So I just think if they can continue at the pace they're on, I think there will be other stuff that happens, and Marquette might be able to sneak into that top 16 uh, where they're going to want to be uh, to host tournament games. But I'm not too like worried about where they're ranking. I didn't think they were going to be ranked at any point this year. So I'm <laughs> like, I, I think that they're okay with it. Um, they're just going to have to continue winning. Otherwise, if they do take a bad loss, they're going to drop significantly probably. Yeah, and I think the only, like you were talking about, the only loss they could pretty much afford at this point would be a loss to Creighton at Creighton, which that's... It's almost like a guarantee. Not that it is, but like it it feels like it. Creighton's had Marquette's number for a number of years now. Yeah, we'll we'll see in about a couple of weeks because that's going to be a Friday night game in Omaha on October 14th. So that's going to be interesting to watch down the line but taking a bigger picture at the season at large let's say Marquette finishes the year with just one more loss at Creighton where do you think that will they'll end up ranking wise and then where do you think they can go in terms of the NCAA tournament um I think that if they don't lose another game aside from at Creighton uh meaning they beat Creighton when they come to the Al McGuire Center for the last game of the season. Uh, they should be a top 16. I think they'll be a top 16 just because I think there'll be enough movement ahead of them. Um, I don't think Creighton being 21 right now is too helpful, but I don't think it's the worst thing ever either. Um, but if it depends on what happens when they go back to Omaha for the Big East tournament. If they can come out of that with a win and they don't get a top 16 seed, I'd be very concerned uh maybe not concerned but just shocked at that um but then it feels like they're so young that they don't really know what's ahead of them which is i think is a good thing like Mm -hmm. memphis grizzlies in the nba like uh just like the inexperience is a good thing at some point and experience is a good thing at other points but i think marquette just they're just going to keep playing how they're playing they're playing really really well right now um so they can continue that i've I don't know that maybe like a sweet 16 making making a second weekend I feel like that's completely on the table for them and I think uh, I read after they played uh, Wisconsin on gomarquette.com their their recap of the game and I think Tice essentially said that I think prior to the season they were talking about how they expect this team to make at least like the the second round of the NCAA tournament that's been a goal of theirs since day one so I think that's incredibly huge but yeah, it's definitely realistic. Like, they have the pieces, and then Hannah Vandenberg, when she, whenever she gets back, we're not too sure on that. Like, mm-hmm. like they already have a bunch of attackers. Like, and if Hannah Vandenberg can get back to just like really good playing shape, like the door is open. Like, adding depth it never hurts. Obviously, mm-hmm. when you're adding someone of Hannah Vandenberg's quality and like her attacking skills she's a six rotation player too so like if Jenna Reitzma's not having her her best game or Aubrey Hamilton's not having her best game um that's gonna be key 
like Ella Holmstrom is a first year who's been playing well. She had a game, 17 kills. That was a monster outing. Um, so like, not that it would be bad if Ella played, but like having the experience of Hannah, who's played in massive games before for Marquette, that will just only help them. Because I, like, she doesn't have the experience with Yachty yet because she's been injured this whole time. Mm-hmm. But it feels like Yachty can just build that up pretty quickly. Um, and I'm sure they'll try and slowly work her in there. Um, we obviously don't know the timeline, but I'm assuming it'll be soon before we like start seeing her at least suiting up for games. Yeah, that's probably a question we're gonna wait to ask Coach Dice for for a, for a long while. So, but uh, yeah, um, I'm not worried about I'm not worried about it. They're on the best starting program history. I'm sure he's not necessarily unbothered by it, but I'm sure like he's not. It's not his every waking thought. That's true. And yeah, talking about like Hannah being a six rotation player, I mean, she also had a lot of size for this team. At least on the Go Marquette website, she's listed at six two. I don't know how much we can trust that considering they list Yadiran Shante at six foot. And when I talked to Tice about it, he said that's probably a bit of a stretch. But just adding size, because I mean, Anastasia Svetnik, she's six three, but not a ton of playing time. She's working back from injury. She feels like she's six four too, because her and Carson standing next to each other, they seem like very similar. Like I don't think there's an inch difference, but, but yeah, but like outside of Aubrey and Carson and Hattie, they have some some length, but you can never have too much length, especially at the front line, and especially with how well Creighton continues to play, you can never have too much length and depth. Yeah, and I think Yachty being not whether Tice believes she's six feet tall or not, like <laughs> she gets up in blocks, like she plays mm-hmm. at the net, like having a setter who can do that is so valuable because you're not taking. Like, you're not down a player when she rotates to the front row. Like, there's not two blockers up there then. You still have the three who can go up and get a block. And I think that's so important. Maybe an underrated factor. I'm sure that all the other volleyball coaches and people are seeing this and they realize it. But, like, that's not every setter. And so Mm -hmm. Marquette's got a really good setter. Uh, Ella Fodi, who plays right side, she can set every once in a while too. Like, that's so key having one setter – uh, technically, but like Fodi was, was has played setter is listed as a setter. Having that is also important in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So at this point in the year, who would you say has been like the defensive and those obviously it's a podcast, you can't say I'm doing air quotes. Who's the uh defensive MVP and then who's kind of the offensive MVP so far? Uh it's Carly Scrawback in my opinion, the starting libero for Marquette. She's just like, um, what's even the right term? But she just like gets to every ball. She gets a hand on everything. She's been serving well. I don't know the exact stats, but I know she has a bunch of aces. Um, she's kind of cycling between the deep bomb and the little float. But like she gets to every ball. It's a good pass usually. Like like just nine times out of ten, she gets a good pass up for Yachty to set. And so like she's just been so dominant. Um, which helps take pressure off the other six rotation players because they don't have to necessarily worry as much like, man, if I don't get to this ball in the step, like Carly's usually there. And so I think that's very important. But offensively, it's got to be Aubrey Hamilton, in my opinion. Like she, she, she's not surprising me, but like she is averaging over three kills a set right now, 3.16. She's hitting 232 maybe. I'm sure she might want to see that number go up, but that's still not a bad, a bad mm-hmm. clip. Um, 
and she's been playing well. She attacks from everywhere too, like from the back and from the uh, outside. And so I think that's really key because she hits the ball so hard from the back. Like if you can put pressure from the back like that, that just evens, just makes Marquette so much more dangerous. And so I think those two for sure. But offensively, like even Yachty, like she's so good defensively because she sets everything up. So, and she averages over a kill a set, which is kind of ridiculous for a setter. Like we were spoiled or Marquette fans were spoiled <laughs> last year with Taylor Wolf averaging over two and a half kills a set, but they ran it that six, two. Um, so it's a little bit of different, um, attacking approaches. Yeah. And then just, to check on that number for Scrabback. She has, I believe, 11 service aces on the year. And it feels like they've been coming more recently too. Like she's really finding because she'll go between the two serving types in the middle of matches. I think that's kind of key because it throws off the opponents. Yeah, she had one against Butler this past Saturday. She had two against Green Bay on the 13th of September, two against Milwaukee, and she had a season-high four versus LSU on September 10th. Yeah, and it feels like every serve is just like, is this going to be an ace? Because the ball just bounces so funky off the, off, uh, the opponent's uh, back line and everyone who tries to uh, receive it. Yeah, it's been impressive just watching this team. And so we'll end it off with, with this, Ben. We're, I know we've talked about it a little bit here and there, but just once again to kind of finish it out, where do you see Marquette finishing Big East standings and then Big East tournament and then NCAA tournament? Um, I think um, last year Crane took a couple of weird losses, so Marquette was able to tie for the Big East championship I feel like Creighton might take a one that they don't want to, so maybe they'll be the only. I think the Marquette will win the Big East um, in the regular season, whether it's tied with Creighton or not. I'm assuming Creighton will probably only lose to us or lose to Marquette. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Big East tournament is in Omaha. They're going to pack it. They always do. So I would ex- expect the Golden Eagles to play in the championship and maybe lose to Creighton like they did last season inside the Maguire Center. And but the then year before that, and the year before probably, that, yeah, and the like, year before that. Exactly. <laughs> but then, like, once you get to the tournament, it's all about matchups. Like, if they get – like, last year they played Dayton, and Dayton was just so tall. It was so hard to attack on them. Um, I don't think they'll get Dayton again, but I think if they get a favorable matchup – if they're a top 16 seed, the first matchup should be favorable. But then it's who, who would – who would they play the next day? I think that'll determine a lot. But like I said earlier, I think they determine a lot of their own destiny because I think they have so many different types of players and pieces that they can plug in. Um, like Adriana Studer is a really good uh, defensive specialist for Marquette. Like she's going to be solid for them in the future. And so if like neighbor or um, Sraback are having a bad game, like they've shown that they are not afraid to put her in the game um and she's done well so i think that helps they have a lot of depth so i think that's a that's a key thing for them going forward yeah i definitely agree with that and i just wanted to double check from last year the two weird losses that you were talking about for for creighton they lost at st john's in four sets and then they lost at uconn in five and then and uconn had a really good team last year too they did this year they're six and seven and have losses to like Army and Utah 
not that Utah's a bad team, but like they're just losing more games. Like they've lost to two ranked teams, and San Diego's one of someone else. I don't realize. I didn't say that San Diego's ranked, but they're number four in the country right now. So okay. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I actually take a look at um, Creighton right now. They're ten and three currently, and they've one loss to Nebraska, who's the number one team or one of the top teams in the entire country we're in the yeah, in, yeah. both it's their, ridiculous both their losses are if three right three Kentucky two of their of yeah two of their losses are to ranked teams is Kentucky when they were ranked 16th and then Nebraska when they were ranked second and credit to them for taking it to five against Nebraska and then their other loss was to unofficial number 26 rice in five sets at rice so yeah, so they're in every match as they should be, but right. it's not like they're getting blown out. Yeah, the worst loss was to Kentucky. They lost in four sets. But, but even that's not a bad loss. No, so. not at all. Um, and their one ranked win is against number 25 USC at the time. But yeah. uh, I'll go ahead and give my predictions, and then we'll go ahead and get out of here. Um, in terms of the regular season, I'm going to be a little bit more bold, slightly, just a, just a little bit. I don't think Marquette loses another game for the rest of the season. I know... There might be an odd clunker where there's some games they'll probably shouldn't go five sets, but just because of yeah, exhaustion. Yeah, they had one of those at St. John's last year. Yeah, and St. John's is St. John's is such a weird team in terms of volleyball. In 2019, uh, my freshman year here, they the tournament was here at the Al McGuire Center. I think Marquette took down Creighton in the first round, or no, Creighton lost to St. John's and Marquette got into the championship game, and lost to St. John's that year. It's just crazy how volleyball is point by point, set by set. So, And it's it's I'm going to take the old football adage any given Sunday. But, again, to quickly finish this out, uh, again, uh, regular season, I think Marquette will, regardless if they lose to Creighton or if they go out the rest of the season undefeated, I think they will be the solo Big East regular season champions. Last year they tied with uh, with Creighton with those two weird losses. It doesn't show on the banner though. So it that's all that matters. Exactly, exactly. And then in terms of the Big East tournament, it obviously will depend on their matchup, but they'll pr- definitely get to the championship game. They've gotten to the championship game X amount of, almost every year. Ryan Tice has been the head coach, so I think they'll get there again. I think they'll. Oh, man. This it's just a weird thing if they can win twice in Omaha. They haven't won in Omaha in almost two years. The last time was during the 2020 season. So I will say that the it'll be a close one. I can't give a definitive answer yet in the biggest championship game. Give me give me another month and I can give you an answer. <laughs> um, and then in terms of the NCAA tournament, I think Sweet 16 is the ceiling. But I will say but. This team, I think if they're a top 16, that's like the baseline for them. If it, they're a top 16. Yeah, I was going to say, if they've broken every ceiling I think they've had for them. I honestly I honestly thought they were probably going to lose to all the rank, not lose to all of them, but like really struggle out of the gate, obviously with Kentucky and Wisconsin and all that, and then eventually having Illinois later. But I honestly think they could probably make as deep as maybe, maybe a Final Four. Maybe that's like I don't think stretch so, like fever dream whatever yeah. you want to say, but I think the realistic like breaking. And the of crazy this, thing is that all these player, all their players are young. Like yes, they're gonna be here long after we're gone. You yeah. got you got one more semester left. Yeah. I got two semesters. Like Carson left. Murray is the oldest 
player who plays consistently, and she's mm-hmm. a junior. So yeah. she has another year, and then everyone else. Aubrey is a junior, I think, as well. But like, yeah, they Aub- all have another year in Aubrey. Yeah. Aubrey, I know, has talked about if her body's right, she might try and play that fifth year. So Yeah, Aubrey's got three years of eligibility. Yadira's got three years of eligibility, plus the rest of the players they have now who kind of moving on beyond that extra COVID year that everybody got. So that's going to be huge. But yeah, like I was saying, the the most realistic like breaking of the ceiling would be an elite eight appearance. I think that would be that would be awesome, especially because I would like to travel to wherever they're going to play for that. I know you would too, so that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um but it would be nice if they could host a couple games too. It would just be nice to have NCAA tournament volleyball in Milwaukee. That would yeah. just be nice in general. I know I know we had fun traveling to Connecticut last semester for the biggest women's basketball tournament, but it'd be it'd be nice to stay in Milwaukee for a few days. Yeah. So. That's true. And Marquette for them, I'm sure they would love that as well. So Yeah, bring it in bring it in some cash. So well, and they get to sleep in their own beds. <laughs> I think that's always a plus. Exactly. So all right, we're gonna go ahead and end there, Ben. Thank you for coming on the first episode of Wire Sports Weekly that I'm hosting. It was really awesome conversation. I'm glad I was able to get you on. Well It was we a lot f- of fun. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And there'll be more Hopefully this will actually be Wire Sports Week and I get out another episode next week. Probably do some Marquette men's or women's soccer or both. I may just have the whole crew in here for for the soccer team. So, And obviously we're getting ready for basketball season, so we'll have some basketball once those beats are figured out. So, But thank you for everyone for listening. Please make sure to share this all over the internet, please. It really helps us out and I really appreciate it. For Ben Schultz, I'm Jackson Gross. Good night, Marquette.